Welcome to The Wealth Standard Radio, your gold standard in everything financial. Hey everyone, uh, welcome to this week's episode. This is Patrick Donahoe. Um, I have some exciting news. We are actually going to broadcast a, uh, a replay of an interview I did with the Real Estate Guys radio this past week that is awesome. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and rebroadcast that and then we'll be on next week. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Does it seem like there's turmoil in the markets or is it just me? There's lots going on and lots to worry about, but maybe some silver lining as well. We'll talk about that and more today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Are you ready to profit in paradise? Hi, it's Robert Helms. And if you think real estate investing means tenants, toilets, and termites, think again. Located just a short plane ride from the U.S., a virtually untouched paradise awaits. The beautiful country of Belize. When you go to Belize with the Real Estate Guys, you'll spend four fabulous days discovering one of the most intriguing real estate markets I've ever seen. With its jungle rainforests, pristine beaches, and 81-degree turquoise water, Belize is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Plus, it's considered one of the top seven tax havens in the world. Belize property is on the rise, and many experts think the best is yet to come. But don't just take my word for it. Come experience Belize firsthand at our upcoming investor field trip. When you join us, you'll discover the many reasons we love Belize, like tremendously undervalued beachfront land, super low taxes, ease of doing business, and so much more. Get the details at realestateguysradio.com. Just click on events. See paradise for yourself. Click events at realestateguysradio.com, and I'll see you in beautiful Belize. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio show. I'm your host, Robert Helms. With me, as usual, co-host financial strategist, Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. You know, it seems like the markets are in trouble. <laughs> you think? All kinds of stuff, I think we stuff, should right? name this show Mitigating the Mayhem of the Markets. I mean, there's so many risks out there that we're faced with as investors. We're managing capital. We're managing assets. We've got debt and cash flows to think about. And there's so many moving parts, so many dynamics. It's never been more difficult to be an investor in terms of figuring out all of the different angles that you can be hit from. Now, we don't know when you're listening. A lot of folks go back and listen to the archives. But uh, currently, and the show that's just hit the radio is right after the stock market went whoops. A couple of uh, really uh, crazy, crazy days and people freaking out. And, you know, we call Peter Schiff. He says, told you so. Uh, <laughs> but, but still, when something happens in any of the markets, people react. And some of those are individuals and they react one way. Some of those are institutions. They react another way. If you're listening to the show, you're an investor or you're sure hoping to be one. And you have to learn how to manage your emotions, be disciplined, and control your reaction. Well, and you have to have strategies. You have to understand the different tools that are available in your toolbox. And how do I go about organizing my balance sheet and my cash flow statement? You know, we talk a lot about picking markets and, and things like that. But here we're talking really about money. We're talking about where do I store my wealth? I can leave it in the equity and the property, and that's fine. But I've got, you know, when I'm running a big apartment complex or several apartment complexes or collecting rents and holding deposits and all that stuff, or a dozen single-family homes or whatever it is that you hold. Whatever it is. I've got a lot of money that I am managing. Money in, money out. I've got float. I've got reserves. There's, there's just a lot of money sitting on my balance sheet. Well, and we're looking at the stock market, and sometimes people put 
extra money there. In fact, you can argue that the stock market's 100% discretionary money. No one has to ever invest in the stock market. So that's a place people put money and the market's up, the market's down. But that's different than the cash that you need for, say, your deposits that your tenants have and running your business. And if all of a sudden we're saying, I might be concerned about the banking system and, and banks are failing, more bank failures in the last 10 years than ever. The sovereigns are failing, right? Puerto Rico defaulting on their debt. You've got the, the big mess that everybody's been talking about in Greece. That is the first major nation to default on an IMF loan. You know, it's fine when these little, little dinky nations do it, but that was like the first major nation to do it. Of course, you know, we had the little towns going, going back for quite some time now, Stockton, Vallejo, these little, little towns. And then we had Detroit go broke. Right. There's still a lot of people out there that are concerned about the pension obligations of states, big states, states like California, you know, these, these places are going broke. And when you think about the people who have invested in those things, a lot of those is the banks are holding this paper. And if that paper goes bad, it's a ripple effect. You know, if you take a trip down memory lane, there's a couple of different things because we can learn a lot from history. You know, you go back and you look, say, 1987, big stock market crash, right? I mean, shades of maybe what has been going on the last couple of weeks in, in the stock market, right? Huge point drops, huge point swings. And that kind of volatility, it's like an organism, you know, if, if human being is really, really sick. They start out a little bit sick and then they get sicker and sicker and they get a fever. And if you don't control it, they go into convulsions. And when markets get sick, they get hot and then pretty soon they get volatile. Right. And it, they really start convulsing. And I don't know, you know, I mean, if you don't deal with it, the patient dies. Now, are the market's going to die? I don't know. Is the banking system going to die? You know, I don't know. But in 1987, I was in the securities industry. And I remember being in a securities broker's office. And I was in the process, just in my own account, of uh, making an investment. And I was putting some money in. Back then, uh, I believe it was Fidelity Fund, uh, Peter Lynch, whatever fund he was managing was the hot fund. Everybody wanted to be in that fund. And standing right next to me was a young guy who had just gotten his college money. And he needed to make tuition. And this was in June, and it was next year's tuition. Uh, and he was going to need it starting school in the fall. And it needed to last him, you know, throughout his whole college deal. Sure. And, and he wanted to get the most yield he could while the money was parked. And so he put it in Fidelity Magellan or whatever it was, right? Well, October, that fall, was Black Monday. And the guy probably lost 25 or 30, maybe 40% of the value of that. And it took a long, long time to come back. And that's the kind of capital risk you can't take when you mismatch the, the responsibility of the money you have and when you're going to need it versus the volatility of the particular investment you're in, you may end up in a situation. So that, that's a bad deal. 2008, another trip down memory lane, the big financial crisis that many of us still remember with scars and wounds and all. That was about bonds failing, subprime mortgage-backed securities failing. And everybody said, oh, that's self-contained because it represents such a small part of the market. But no, because it was through the daisy chain effect, these banks all had derivatives of these subprime mortgage-backed securities on their balance sheet. And when they started to fail, they started just this domino effect through balance sheets all across the banking industry. And that's where we've seen so many banking failures in the last seven or eight years. You know, we just did our Secrets of Successful Syndication event and Ken McClure was talking about coming out with a group of investors with a lot of capital. And the big question is where to put it. Yeah, if Ken's got another real estate deal, you'd consider that if you're an investor with him. But what do you do with a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, a million dollars, right? Today, people are not 
as certain as they've been at different times. And this is just the way that the economies and the cycles work. But systemic failure of the banking system and counterparty risk are things we need to be aware of today. Absolutely. I mean, just to bring everybody up to speed, counterparty risk means an asset sitting on your balance sheet is somebody else's liability at the same time. So if, if you loan somebody money and put that account receivable on your balance sheet, that's an asset to you. They're going to put it on their balance sheet as an account payable. They owe you right? And so that's the relationship. When you put your money in the bank, that's an asset on your balance sheet called my savings. And it's a liability on the bank's balance sheet, which is they owe you that money. It's your money and it's a demand deposit. And so the question is, if everybody went to the bank and asked for their money back, the money's not there. No. And the guarantee that we have with the FDIC is somewhat suspect because they have, I don't know, $25 billion in assets, most of which are government bonds, which is another set of IOUs. So you've got somebody where you're depending on their balance sheet asset, which is somebody else's liability. And so you have to look through. It's like having a master lease. If I'm going to have a master lease and somebody is going to sublet a property that I've got, and I'm really concerned about where my income's coming from, I don't just look at the master lessee. I look at the people he's renting to. Sure. Right? Because I have to be concerned, where's my backing coming from? Most of us have more counterparty risk than we realize because we really don't understand ultimately where the money is placed and what backs it up. And if the FDIC is backing up with $25 billion, mostly government bonds, savings accounts of over $5 trillion insured, and we have a banking crisis... That's a drop in the bucket. It has no, it's, that's like spitting on a blazing apartment fire. It's just not going to make a difference. And so what's the answer going to be? Well, if the government has to back that up, they have to whip out the printing press. If you whip out the printing press to solve a banking crisis, what happens to the value of the dollar? Way down. It goes way down. And so if you don't have real assets on your balance sheet, then you're just holding nothing but falling currency. You may not default principal, but you lose all your purchasing power. So there's, these are the types of things, sadly, I mean, in this, in, in this economic world that we have to think about. So that's all the bad news. I was going to say, before uh, you slit your wrist, <laughs> uh, there actually are some answers and some things that you can do prudently. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We come back. You're going to meet a good friend and a great guest with lots of interesting, mind-shifting information today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Live nationwide, you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com. Forbes rated Memphis the best cash flow market in the nation. And our good friend Terry Kerr at Mid-South Home Buyers has been the premier turnkey rental property provider in Memphis for over 13 years. With an A-plus rating for the Better Business Bureau, Terry has renovated over 750 houses. Real Estate Guys listeners have snapped up hundreds. Discover what these satisfied investors already know. Mid-South's properties are completely renovated with a one-year warranty and a lifelong rental guarantee. They're affordable, well-managed, and easy to own. Perfect for beginning investors and veterans alike. Get in on the action. Contact Terry and his team via email at midsouth at realestateguysradio.com. Are you still sitting on the sidelines trying to figure out when and where you're going to buy those investment properties? Well, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Atlanta, Georgia is still on sale, but you better act fast because the deals are almost gone. Hey, this is Ken Corsini with Georgia Residential Partners, and I want you to know that there may not be a better investing opportunity than Atlanta right now. Listed as one of the fastest growing markets in the country, both in terms of jobs and population, Forbes predicts 26% appreciation over the next three years. At Georgia Residential Partners, we sell turnkey, cash-flowing investment properties. We also sell wholesale properties at insane discounts. We're launching a new home construction product this summer as well, 
And if you're still nervous about stepping out into another market, I will personally partner with you on a small portfolio of homes, if that's what it takes. Don't wait any longer. Check us out at gainvesting.com or call our office at 770-924-5450. We look forward to hearing from you. Hi, I'm Robert Kiyosaki, and I encourage you to listen to those wild and crazy real estate guys. They're the best, been working for years, and they know what they're talking about. Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms, talking today about the banking system, how safe it is, and what can you do about it as a real estate investor. Uh, here to uh, further that discussion, let's welcome back a good friend and a former guest of our show, uh, has appeared actually many, many times, uh, from Paradigm Life, Patrick Donahoe. How are you, sir? I'm great, Robert. It's awesome to be here. Always good to see you, my friend. Likewise. We, I uh, have a great chance to hang out at the Investor Summit every year. We mm -hmm. see each other uh, between, just uh, had you come out to tag on to the end of the syndication event, which was cool. So uh, there's a lot of turmoil in the market, and I'm sure uh, your clients are calling going, ah, help. It's all. It happens all the time. I mean, the markets, I think since you know 2008, once they started to collapse, they've just continued this up and down, and it's shot up for a while, and then it starts to go down. I mean, it's it's a crazy, it's a crazy time. It's actually kind of interesting to watch but at the same time, you can imagine that a lot of people are getting really anxious about their wealth and what to do. So, you know, if banks aren't as strong and as stable as we once thought, and we have counterparty risk and we have the uncertainty of the FDIC's real ability should something happen, well, what's a person to do? You've got kind of a really interesting solution of a way to keep at least a portion of your dollars outside of traditional banking. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, you look at our, our banking industry and it is, it's actually fascinating because of how, how much it's evolved. I mean, there's so much convenience to credit cards and online banking. But at the same time, you just look at how banks are set up and it's really, it's really risky because they they take on our deposits and by law they can lend out and turn those deposits into assets for them uh, immediately right and that creates a lot of liability because if you look at those as as uh, Russ said those that want to withdraw and there's a massive run or withdraw on the banks the the liquidity isn't there to pay everybody out and that's really why you know one of the reasons why the Federal Reserve you know came came on board to be the lender of, of last resort. But at the same time, you look at what's happened in Cyprus and in Greece and in other you know parts of the world, and with the Dodd-Frank bill, which allows for bail-ins, it creates even more risk for those that are actually making deposits in the banks. Because I guarantee that most people, when they decide to choose a bank and where to put their money, they don't go look at the balance sheet. They don't go look at assets and liabilities and what type of investments they make. It's just one of those things where it's, you know, has notoriety. It's the social agreement that that's where we keep money. And, you know, nobody does any due diligence beyond that. And yet in the last 10 years, we've seen tons of bank failures and we didn't used to see that. We saw certainly small banks would come together and, and form bigger banks. You'd see small community banks, certainly, but then the big, huge, giant corporations and in a lot of ways, the idea of a Federal Reserve isn't a bad idea, a central bank, and we're not going to argue or pontificate on, you know, the pros and cons of the Fed, obviously, we don't have that kind of time, uh, but it, it is what it is. And yet, what's an investor to do at, at, at a certain point? You know, if you're just living in paycheck to paycheck, or you've got a little money in the bank or whatever, it's, maybe it's less of a concern. But as we start to acquire assets, as we have cash flows, as we're sitting on money, right? Real estate investors have in their control money that is theirs, money that is fluid in that its expenses as income comes in. And then they have 
tenants' money, things like their deposits. And you've got this whole, as you get more and more units, you've got this whole fiduciary duty practically in many, many parts of, uh, of this. And then your own duty, if it's in your own account, it's different than if, say, you're raising money with syndicators. But it starts to get complex. And we're looking for ways to make sure that we're managing our cash well. And a thing we wouldn't even thought of 10 years is, is what's the risk of the very fact that the bank could fall off the face of the earth? Well, that's the thing. You go back to 2008 and you know IndyMac, which is a bank in California, there were a lot of people that held deposits over the $100,000 at that time threshold, and they just lost They lost it when IndyMac went under. Yep. So I think you're right. I think looking at a lot of big investors and business owners that have to keep a lot of cash on hand for you know liquidity, but also to keep reserves, as, as Russ was talking about, the yep. deposits of tenants, uh, but also for bonding. A lot of bonding companies for different businesses require liquidity. Yep. And once you start to encroach on that 250000 limitation, people start to get anxious and they're, they know that that money is at risk if something happened to the bank. So that's kind of, that's one of the angles that we take with our business is we educate individuals on how to shift that risk from the banking industry to the insurance industry. Because there are, there are different, there are types of insurance policies that you can set up that really look and act like a bank. They have the same liquidity, they have better yield, and you can use them similar to how people use a bank. Well, this is interesting, and maybe more now than it's ever been. This has always been a fascinating concept, but as people are starting to get the picture, and we're starting to see not just in our country, but around the world, and not just in our currency, but around the world, of course, listeners in more than 180 countries in the Real Estate Guys program, there's an overall arching concern about the strength of the financial world. But within that, you say, okay, well, the U.S. dollar is strong. Well, it's compared to what? And I still, at the end of the day, we most of us have to have a portion of our liquid assets in our home country currency, whatever that is. And banks have their faults. Their balance sheets are suspect in many ways. But insurance companies that have different balance sheets. And what people maybe don't understand about insurance is you can't walk into your insurance company and say, I want to deposit $200. That's not how it works. But insurance companies do have the same flows of capital and they do things like make loans and they have real assets and they own real estate, but they're set up differently and that creates some unique opportunity. And that's where it comes down to the, the different products that they offer, because they offer lots of different products. And insurance is all about money in and money out. Money in comes from premiums, money out goes to claims. And so they understand the metrics and the data associated with how to be profitable. That's why they've been around for so long. But there are certain products that you can purchase that create liquidity so that you can have access to the money. You can receive a loan from them against that money. You can receive interest for it that's liquid. So, and there's, there's these specialized group of policies that you can purchase, which is kind of outside the other products that they offer. Well, this is important because if you're just thinking insurance and going, yeah, I have a term policy and it's a hundred thousand dollars. And if I get hit by a truck, you know, my wife gets that. This is beyond that. This is a financial product that is designed for the primary reason of insurance, which is to change risk, to move risk from one party to another. When you start out, perhaps you don't have the ability to handle a catastrophic risk. So you buy insurance, paying a little money every year or every month, so that should there be a problem, and you never want to use it, but should there be a problem, you're going to be covered. If a hundred houses are in a neighborhood and each one of those people pays $10, then when the house has a problem, the one house of, the, of those hundred, then that person gets the money. That's the concept. And there's not a lot of profit in insurance. It's mostly based on risks and odd and actuarials and all that. But 
the products you mentioned are the fact that as policies are set up, they're not all set up just to pay benefits. They're set up in a myriad ways. Now, on this program, we're not going to cover all the ways and all the possibilities, but one of the things I love about you, do, Patrick, is you're first and foremost an educator, and before we're done, we're going to give you a lot of great resources you can have to really get your mind around this. But just talk to the insurance companies and how their balance sheets appear compared to a typical bank. Well, first, in insurance companies, they do buy assets. When they receive a premium, they have liabilities, so they need to convert that, essentially that liability, into an asset. So they make, they make loans, they own a lot of real estate, they do joint ventures. If you look at a lot of the major real estate developments and real estate deals that happen throughout the country, insurance companies are involved with those. So insurance companies also do not use the Federal Reserve windows. They don't have leverage like that. They're not included in the traditional banking system. Uh, but insurance companies are, hu are huge players, but they're a lot less exposed to what banks are. Right. And think about what insurance does, right? We're paying into it in anticipation of if there being a problem, it's they're going to pay out. But that problem is sometimes down the road. Certainly, there's people that buy insurance policies and then instantly have an issue. But many times, those of us that have had to make claims, it's been after paying for years. So insurance companies, by the nature of what their businesses sit on capital, they've got to put it to work. Exactly. And they know... To, it's amazing just how accurate their data is. And the more data that's available, and they all share the same data, they are pinpoint accurate on everything that they insure. And so that's another thing too, is just their business model in general, aside from the assets that they hold, that's why they've been around for hundreds of years and you know are, are rock solid and continue to be rock solid. So their balance sheets are more stable. As a business and an industry, they're more stable. You don't hear of insurance companies closing their doors and going out of business. But there's different kinds of insurance companies. And so at, at the root of what you guys do is that the products that you offer are based on a particular type of insurance company. And there's a reason for that. Can you explain that? There is. So you have, you have private insurance companies and then you have public insurance companies. So public ones are traded on stock exchanges. So MetLife is a, is a publicly traded company. You can buy ownership in that company. But private companies are owned, they're called mutual companies, they're owned by specific account holders or specific policy owners. So those accounts that we set up in a very unique way qualifies you as an owner in this insurance company. So at the end of the year, as they calculate their profits, those profits go to policy owners as a dividend. And those dividends have been paying out for almost 200 years with some companies. I was going to say, this sounds like some new confangled way to do this, but no, a mutual company is just the idea that the individual insureds are the company. That's right, the purest way to divide risk. Now, what that allows is that because of applying that in the way that you guys do, it allows for something we really wouldn't have thought of initially, which is a return on insurance. Because we're taught that insurance is designed to make us whole if we have a problem. We're not supposed to profit from insurance. You're not supposed to get a nicer car or a nicer building, nope. uh, contrary to those TV ads that you see, the idea of insurance is to make you whole if there's a problem. But because of the way that this is structured and because of the profit motive of a mutual company, instead there is a return that is earned over time. So how does that translate into something that benefits the insured? So, and it comes down to the purpose of the policy, right? So you can, you can set up the insurance policy the traditional way, which is for a coverage or for a claim. And so you pay in a premium and then some future point in time, a claim will pay out. But the way we set it up is for a present cash value that you can use. And that is what earns these dividends. It's what earns interest. And it also qualifies for a, a line of credit that the insurance company guarantees against this accumulating balance. 
Yeah, so it's taking a product that exists for a purpose and taking a different look at what you might do with that. You hear people say, well, okay, I have a cash value policy, so it's building up over time the cash value. And the cash value is the part that really isn't figured into that equation of the risk. And so it becomes a tool for many people to use in two ways. But sometimes those are, are lazy policies because they just build up and they aren't really, it's not really doing me any good other than, oh, look, I've got some cash value. It's probably not as good as an investment you might be able to make as a real estate investor or another investor. And yet what it does create because of that uniqueness is this ability for you to use it in a different way. Exactly. And that's how we position these accounts. We set them up in a very unique way. It's designed to have a maximum amount of cash value. But then we also teach and educate people on how to use it as the and asset, which is you put your cash, you put your capital and your cash flows into this vehicle. And then when you have to invest in something, you don't have to cancel or withdraw the money. You can actually borrow from the insurance company, invest in your business, invest in a piece of real estate, now you have both. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to get your mind around this stuff, and it's going to take you a little while. So we hope that's what's going to happen is you're going to, one, understand that you don't have to be that freaked out and scared by an imminent collapse of the banking system, that there are options, and this is certainly one of them. And then two, commit yourself to learning about this because it takes some time to figure it out, but it's a great way to divide some risk and also to manage your cash better. So you have clients that use it in a variety of ways. There are some people that, as landlords, and a lot of real estate investors are, are your clients, we know many of those folks, they're sitting on, say, all these deposits, right? I've got 180 units spread out between four states, some are houses, some are 20-unit buildings, whatever that looks like, and I'm sitting on an amount of money that's my tenant's money, and so that's not my money. I've gotta put it somewhere liquid, but wouldn't it also be great if it could be more useful to me and not at this banking or third-party risk? Exactly. So that's where you know our, our education comes into play because the setup and the use is different for everybody because everybody has something different going on. But generally speaking, for real estate investors, real estate investors need sometimes need capital. If they're not going to raise, they're not going to use leverage, they need some of their own capital to inject in deals. So they want to hold like an opportunity fund or money that's liquid, that's readily available if an, an opportunity presents itself. But also, they have to have reserves, whether it's the deposits of tenants or whether there um, is some updates to the property that need to take place or vacancies. I mean, people, real estate investors hold liquidity. And looking back, you know, pre-2008, the, the, the real estate investors that didn't have liquidity weren't able to get through that mess. And some of them had to default and short sale and foreclose, right? Because they didn't, they weren't positioned the right way. So looking at us and how we educate, especially real estate investors, it's based on what type of real estate you're in. It's based on, you know, how you're positioning your cash and your cash flows right now. And then sometimes what we do is we'll start small. Okay, we'll start with maybe half or maybe a quarter of your cash and your cash flow. We'll start that way and then you can incorporate a little bit of the concept and then you can always add to that down the road. Because going from like completely cold turkey, one strategy to another is also very difficult for individuals to grasp. So that's another, you know, another way to mitigate kind of a new, the risk of a new process and a new account and a new setup. And so that's kind of the angle we take sometimes with real estate investors. That's just prudent thinking anyway, right? I mean, you what, think about what, you know, some people do is they get up to an account that's nearing the FDIC limit. And so they go open a different account, a different bank, and now they have two accounts, right? And then three and then four. And as we're accumulating wealth, that's one way to divide risk. But I would argue that it's still all in the same system. And the insurance business is a different system. 
But let's talk about the fact of the actual dollars. The insurance companies aren't banks. Do they hold their money in banks? And I know they got money in real estate. So how does that part of it work? And is there still counterparty risk? Well, there's all, there's risk in anything. And I think one of the things that Russ mentioned is very valid, which is the dollar, right? The dollar is what measures all of our services, all of our rents, all of our values. Okay. And if that no longer is the world's reserve currency, okay, anything that is denominated in dollars is going to be affected, which includes insurance companies. Sure. At the same time, insurance companies are assets and liabilities, right? Their liabilities are claims and their assets are loans, that's real estate, and it's all denominated in dollars. So if there is a shift in the dollar or the dollar ceases to exist, then the assets are going to be valued for the insurance company, but their liabilities are also going to be on the equal playing field. So it reduces some of that risk, if, if that makes sense. But insurance companies, like I said before, they don't use leverage. They don't use the Federal Reserve for leverage or to add to their liabilities. They basically take in premium payments, and which is a huge amount of cash flow for them. And then they take that and they put it into other assets that back up those liabilities. So, I mean, I can go into the list of assets, but most insurance companies are uh, are rated by rating agencies, multiple rating agencies, and they're required to disclose their balance sheets and their assets. And so for most, uh, actually all insurance companies that are uh, that are rated by these companies like S&P and AM Best and Moody's, they have to disclose those and you can actually pull them up their public record. So, and they're very solid. I mean, some of the companies that we work with had zero defaults, zero losses during the 2008 and 2009 crash. And it's continued to be that way today. And that's not something everyone can say. Hey, we're talking about the banking system and uh, some ways to maybe work around it. We've got uh, more with Patrick when we come back. We'll also play real estate trivia next. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helm. Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com. Are you achieving everything you want in life? What if there was a time-tested way for you to get everything you've dreamed of? The most successful people in life set goals and keep themselves accountable. But how? The good news is that it's not rocket science. You too can learn the skills and unleash the motivation that will create success in your life. And now is the time. Hi, this is Robert Helms, and I'd like to personally invite you to attend Creating Your Future, the 2016 Goals Retreat, taking place January 8th through 10th in beautiful San Diego, California. This unique weekend has been called phenomenal, inspirational, and life-changing by the hundreds of people that have attended. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com and click events or call 888-489-7723, extension 18. Get your life back on track physically, spiritually, and financially. Attend the 2016 Goals Retreat on the second weekend of the new year. Click events at realestateguysradio.com and register why there's still early bird pricing. This is no dress rehearsal. Live the life you were meant to. Visit realestateguysradio.com or call 888-489-7723 today. Hi, this is Lawrence Yoon, Chief Economist with National Association of Realtors, and you are listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show. No matter how you're listening to us, whether it's a podcast or a real estate broadcast, we do both. 
Hey, before we get back to the interview with Patrick, it's time to play real estate trivia. That's your chance to win a prize, and it's a good one for knowing our real estate trivia question. In just a minute, I'm going to give you a question that has something to do with real estate and banking, if you can believe that. Uh, once you uh, hear the question, dig in on the answer, you're going to fire off your best guess to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Include your name and your physical mailing address, because we're going to send you a big old book. It's called Second Chance by Robert Kiyosaki. That can be yours if you know today's real estate trivia question. Last week on the show, we asked this, name the largest apartment owner in the U.S. And the clue was they're bigger than number two by a lot. Number two, Bob Helms. Number one, Hunt Companies of El Paso, Texas, with over 240,000 apartment units. Number two is actually Boston Capital with just under 140,000. That's a lot of apartments. Wow. Here's our real estate trivia question for this week. In what country did the concept of mutual insurance originate? We were talking about mutual insurance companies compared to other insurance companies. That concept initiated in a country. What country? If you know or just want to take a guess, send us your best guess to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Include your name and your mailing address. If you're the winner, we're going to give you second chance. No, not a second chance. The book second chance. We're going to give you by Robert Kiyosaki. That's today's real estate trivia question. We've got Patrick Donahoe in the studio with us today. Always good to see you, Patrick. Thanks for being here. Hey, it is such a pleasure and honor to be with you guys. Now, you do a podcast, too. Tell us quickly about the weekly podcast that you do. Yeah, so we've, we've had one up for eight eight years, a little more than eight years. You guys were kind of the inspiration around that. Do you believe it's been almost eight years since Isn't it we've crazy? known each other? Jeez. But uh, yeah, we broadcast uh, weekly, and uh, it's on TuneIn. It's called The Well Standard Radio. And great, great stuff there. Again, lots of uh, wide variety of, uh, of topics, so check that out. Uh, you can't have too much information. Of course, you got to turn education into effective action. That's our motto here. So let's talk about that part of it. Okay, this all sounds great. What do I do? How do I get into the position where I can remove the risk or transfer the risk, which is what insurance is all about, to these more stable companies that have a lot more length of life? Well, like I said, the, the education component is, is huge for us because it's not a one-size-fits-all. So typically for real estate investors, what we'll look at first is their liquidity and we'll look at their cash flows. Now, the cash flows may come from their business and their real estate or from their job and their real estate. Their liquidity might come from you know, other assets they hold outside of their real estate operations. So we'll look at liquidity and then we'll look at cash flow and essentially design a plan so that that goes into these specific types of accounts. And in those accounts, you have the same type of liquidity and then the education now reverts to when you need that money how do you use the insurance company's loan provision? So as you build in this liquidity, again, you have a, a much higher yield than a bank because banks don't really even have any interest they're paying right now. No. So you earn interest and you earn dividends, but then the insurance company by contract guarantees that you can borrow from them up against the amount that you're accumulating in this account. So then we go to teaching when you need to use that money, how do you access it? And then how do you pay it back? So this is the critical part. You really don't need to learn how to use a bank account. I mean, if you ever had one, you might have to learn how to fill out a check. If anyone still uses checks, you've got to figure out an ATM and my debit, and I'm going to look at my statement and so forth. But with this tool and the way you guys approach it, you really do need to be active in thinking about using it because that's going to give you the maximum benefit from it. And so that's why the education is so important. That's not to scare you away. It's to say like any cool tool, you've got to figure it out first and it just takes some time to get your mind around and having spoke with many of your clients it's fun to watch how they go from well i don't think i quite understand it to no 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 this is why it's so great right so 
Imagine this, real estate investors. Imagine that you could get a home equity line of credit or a line of credit on a piece of real estate that you own and when you weren't using it, right? A line of credit's great because if I need it, I have it. But if I don't use it, I'm not paying on it. Imagine if you had a line of credit and when you used it, it didn't really cost you much in interest. And when you didn't use it, it paid you an interest. Now that sounds like a pretty good line of credit. Isn't that what this product will do? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at, there's various, there's a lot of similarities between insurance and, and real estate. So the equity or the account that you build up in the insurance policy, it is earning interest, it's earning dividends. But then the insurance company guarantees this line of credit, which is an increasing line of credit. With home equity lines of credit, they assess your, your, the value of the real estate and give you a cap on LTV. And then it stops there unless you go back and requalify for a higher amount. And that's only if the home goes up in value. Right. Well, these accounts go up in value every single year. And so this line of credit continues to rise every single year. So you're earning interest, you're earning dividends, you know, roughly four to five percent. Then the insurance company gives you a loan against that at four to five percent. So it's a wash if you use all of it. But if you don't use it, now it's pure gain. Okay, or you use half of it, now you have gain on uh, what's accumulating, and then you have a wash on what's being used with the policy loan. But also with the policy loan and interest, if you do it the right way and you have a really good CPA, then there's ways in which you can write off that interest or expense that interest against income that's associated with whatever the investment or the real estate is. All right, so let me see if I have this part of it right, because I think perhaps a question listeners are going to have is, well, okay, well, how's an insurance policy pay dividends? Because remember, it's a mutual company. So as an insured, you're an owner of the company. This company is a for-profit enterprise. I mean, insurance, although their metrics are good and they know what their pays are and they have actuality, they're going to make a profit. And that's why that 4 to 5% is, is a pretty consistent figure. It is, and that's actually at the lower end right now. You go back and you look at their history, it's been much higher, but insurance is always profitable because it's all based on inevitable events. And if those events don't occur, insurance companies win. Right. If those events occur, they have to pay out, but they know in advance statistically what is going to happen and how they're going to make money. But they pass on those profits to these types of account holders. And that's it. It's not to everybody. It's not to the person that owns term insurance. It's not to the person that owns disability insurance. It's not to the person that owns an annuity. It's to these type of account holders, and that's it. And there's lots of, of these type of accounts that the folks like yourself are, are setting up, and people are understanding this as a tool now. Let's talk about that whole line of credit thing, because it's not actually a line of credit. What's happening is, if you do nothing, then you're making this return, and you might say, well, okay, 4 or 5% is a lot better than a bank, but I might be able to do better in real estate. That's why this is where you put all of your money it's for that idle money that you need to be keeping because of the liquidity. So let's say I need the liquidity. It really functions like a loan. It does. So let's say you have a hundred thousand dollars in there, okay? And it's earning four to five percent per year. So that's four to five thousand dollars a year. Yep. Now that hundred thousand dollars, you can take a loan against that. Okay. The loan is going to be up to a hundred thousand dollars. So if you take a loan, okay, and you acquire a property with that loan, now you have two things going on. The hundred thousand dollars in account still earns interest. Okay. Now you're paying a little bit of interest on the on the hundred thousand dollars, but then you have the gain of the property at the same time. Okay. Now looking at that gain, whether it's cash flow or you're using it to flip or you're using it to acquire and rehab and then get long-term financing on it, whatever the whatever the strategy is, when you do receive money back, we teach clients to pay back the policy loan first. Okay. And then you can reuse it because it does act like a line of credit. So you borrow from it then you pay it back and then you use it again. You just continue to use that process over and over to continue to acquire assets. 
Now, when I think of an equity line of credit, I think I'm going to qualify. It's going to be just my income, and then there's going to be an interest rate, and I use it and so forth. In this case, that whole ability to borrow the money is set up as part of the original policy. Correct, and it's a private loan, so it doesn't appear on your credit. Okay, you request it from the insurance company, and there's no qualification at all. There's no credit check. They don't ask you what you're using it for. We've had clients use really high six-figure loans, uh, and there's no questions asked, period. And the money gets EFT'd or it gets wired or it gets sent in a check. So we first had you on the show many, many years ago, and we were struggling to get our mind around this concept. And now you've built up an amazing business, a big team, and lots of real estate guys, listeners that have availed themselves of your services. How are you seeing your clients use this product? Because now we've got lots of case studies, lots of people who are kind of the ideal targets. So what are some ways, maybe some some examples you can share with us? Well, as, as I thought about this show and an example that I could give that would resonate with most people, uh, there's there's kind of two two case studies that I that I thought about. Uh, one of them was actually number of year, a number of years ago. One of the original kind of original clients that we have, and some of his concerns and how he kind of gravitated toward us and, and started to use this concept. Uh, he had a, he had real estate, he had a lot of real estate holdings. Uh, we also had a construction company, and his construction company was wasn't doing too well because of the economy. He just didn't have a lot of jobs. Yeah. So he was trying to figure out a way in which he can use his you know his construction guys for stuff that he was doing. So basically, he he shifted a lot of his liquidity into insurance. He still needed liquidity for for bonding, uh, because his insurance company had to be bonded, and they were they would uh, accept insurance cash values as part of that liquidity requirement. So now he was going to earn a little bit more money on money that he had to keep in cash anyway. Yep. But then, as far as his real estate is concerned, he was really finding it very hard. I mean, he had millions of dollars in in accounts. But the banks, every single time he wanted to to borrow money to buy real estate, and at the time, he was trying to figure out a way that he could acquire properties that were going into foreclosure, that were being defaulted on, acquire them, rehab them with his construction crews, okay, and then obtain long-term financing. But his banks gave him the runaround with just you know $100,000 loans, $200,000, even though he had millions of dollars with them. It was, it was, it was ridiculous. And that even happens to this, this day. Those that have an, a, an insane amount of deposit they're still finding it very difficult in some instances to qualify for their own financing. So basically, he was fed up with that. So he started to you know, put more money into policies. He has multiple policies now and essentially have all of his liquidity in there. And this is the capital that he uses to acquire these you know, in-default properties. So he acquires them. He uses some of the cash values to improve the properties, rehab them, and then he refinances them with his bank. He goes through that whole rigmarole, gets long-term financing, and then takes the proceeds and pay back, pays back the policy loans. And then he takes some of his profits also and puts them into uh, into cash value. It seems like a great product for someone who's going to do rehab on a property because the lender doesn't like that collateral. Do that with this funding source and then pay it back like you talked about, pay back the loan, and now go get traditional financing on it and do it again. Exactly. So that's, that's kind of on a higher level. This guy had to keep liquidity regardless for his business, but he also had a lot of real estate activities that he wanted to take advantage of just because of the lull in the market. But for smaller real estate investors, this is where a lot of the, the education and the strategy uh, is, is what we try to get across. Because we've met with thousands of real estate investors, 
And we, when we met with a lot of them pre-crash. Yeah. And there was a lot that we saw go into very hard times and are now completely out of the real estate game just because of how difficult it was. Uh, and obviously that's, you know, that, that stigma, that feeling, those memories, they don't want to repeat, repeat that. So our education really revolves around how can they, how could they have prevented that? So especially with smaller real estate investors. So the idea is you use these loans. Okay. You, you take your, your cash flows and your savings, you put into these accounts. And then when you borrow against the accounts for a down payment, then basically what you do is the cash flows, the positive cash flows, you repay everything back into the policies to discipline yourself. Okay. Not to rely on those cash flows you know, to, for, for financial freedom yet. You want to use that to create the velocity of money uh, idea. So cash flows goes in, into the policy. And then when it builds up more equity, you just kind of repeat the process over and over and over again. So there was, there was one client that we met with pre-crash and he, he had, I think, 15 or 20 properties and he had purchased in the um, in the southern southern states when they had the kind of the hurricane Katrina incentives where you can buy property there right and he was upside down and he had super high interest in, in the payments he was making on them versus the rents he was upside down on rents he was upside down on equity so we basically but he had a, a high uh, income job a tech job so we essentially redirected 401k contributions IRA contributions uh, and other savings contributions he was over paying like personal debts but yet he was kind of neglecting his real estate because he wanted to go into you know he wanted to default and go into foreclosure and get out of the real estate game but we essentially helped him redirect those cash flows into policies and then he slowly would pay off the you know 14 15 percent second mortgages take the payments redirect them to pay down the policy loans and he paid off and this is again this is philosophy but he actually paid off half of those homes in full and he has them free and clear which you know, again, it's to each his own. Some people like leverage, some people don't. Uh, but he paid off uh, half of those properties in about three years. And now he's more, a little bit more comfortable with leverage. And so he's continued to actually acquire and he does hard money lending now. So it kind of, this, this whole concept in these products really saved him from exiting the real estate industry in general. And it gets more complex with him. I don't want to go into the weeds, but what it does really is knowing that you have access to liquidity, you have that loan provision, makes people think a little bit different about what they're doing, about what they're doing with their gains and their and their real estate, which is difficult to quantify. But with a lot of our clients, that dynamic, that that you know, idea behind a, a paradigm shift uh, is is all. There's lots of examples of that. Well, and it does take a paradigm shift. It's a lot to get your mind around. Hence the name of your company. Now, Patrick, there's another big advantage to this whole system and this product and the way you guys use that, and that's privacy. When we start out as real estate investors, we're mostly concerned with uh, paying little tax so we can have more money, and then you know, using asset protection strategies so we don't lose our properties to predators and slip and falls and those kinds of things. But as we get more and more wealth, privacy becomes really important. Can you speak to the privacy aspects of this? Yeah, I mean the pri- the privacy thing is 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 an added feature, but it oftentimes becomes a primary feature because you look at our day and age and our our if we don't protect ourselves, our entire lives are exposed. So it's interesting that most people don't really know this until it's too late, but there are a lot of the assets that we hold that can that can be found with a, a simple asset search, which which any attorney could do. And and looking at that when when individuals are sued or people pursue them. And if you haven't been sued as a real estate investor or a business owner, then, you know, it's kind of only a, a matter of time. Right. <laughs> but that's, people get very, um, very anxious about that. 
And so in a, in a very uh, non-private, very public world, people are looking to privatize their assets. And so they, they look for holding gold or, or silver, which is a, a strategy, or holding money uh, offshore or assets offshore. I mean, there's lots of different strategies to do that. But one of the simplest ways to privatize your cash and your liquidity is, is through these, these same insurance products and cash values that we've been talking about. So as we were talking about, we build up this cash value and the policies through equity in the policy, and that's this money that we're able to borrow or we leave in there and it's making return and so forth. But say I were to get in some traffic accident and people go, oh, here's this rich real estate guy. I'm going to go after him. This doesn't show up anywhere. It's hard to find and search for this. Your cash value isn't like your bank accounts that can be readily found by all kinds of organizations. It's private. It is. And so we, th there's different layers of, of privacy and protection. The first layer is the insurance is not public record. Nobody knows you have it. It's a private agreement between you, a private individual, and a private insurance company. Okay, So the only way in which somebody can find out that you have an insurance policy is either you tell them, right, or you are brought into court and you have to swear under oath everything that, that you own literally so that's the first that's the first layer yep. the second layer is there are about 30 states in the u.s that even if you did raise your hand in court and you disclose that you have insurance policy and cash values okay, it is an asset that cannot be taken or garnished so so looking at that it's you know it, the reason is because the insurance policy in essence is for the benefit of somebody else. Right. When you get insurance, your beneficiary isn't you because if you die, you you can't use the money. It's going to go to your heirs. And so that's a really interesting angle. All right. Well, there's so much here. There's a ton to get your mind around. What we've asked Patrick to do is kind of encapsulated in a great uh, webinar he's put together. And he's going to explain it to you in a way that uh, you'll not only be able to make sense of it, but maybe share it with uh, your spouse and your partners and other folks. So if you'd like to get uh, invited to watch the webinar, all you have to do is send us an email to private banking. Private banking at realestateguysradio.com. Private banking at realestateguysradio.com. And we'll get you an invitation to the webinar. Patrick, thanks so much for uh, being on the program today. Thanks, Robert. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys Radio program. I'm your host, Robert Elms. Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com. When the housing market crashed in 2008, San Antonio led the way in appreciation and cash flow. Would you like to have a strong, reliable investment that performs in both up and down markets? Cash flow is the key to successful investing and we have tons of positive cash flow properties for our ATW investors. Come see why the Milken Institute rated San Antonio the number one economy in the United States and why San Antonio is the only major city in the country to have a AAA bond rating. ATW Investments can teach you strategies for building strong, secure wealth with investments starting at $5,000. ATW's patented, proven, and powerful system will do all the hard work for you. ATW is where the perfect market meets the perfect strategy and produces the perfect results in your portfolio. To get started, go to the resource section of the Real Estate Guys website or email us at contact at atw-investments.com. 
Hi, I'm Steve Forbes. You're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Listen up. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program, the number one downloader podcast on real estate investing. Uh, thanks for tuning into the show today. You know, always great to hear from Patrick Donahoe. Yeah, it's such, a, it's such a fascinating concept. And the thing is, it's been around for a long time. Yeah. And I have a background in the insurance business and, you know, been around financial services for a long time. But, you know, there's, there's a way that people who are mom and pop investors and people who are what I call consumers, the people that listen to Susie Orange and Dave Ramsey. And they do a great job, right? Showing people how to, you know, basically budget and save and live their money. means. Yep. And they don't have to be that sophisticated as investors because they're just going to turn it over to, you know, mutual fund manager or whatever. And of course, you go through a stock market gyration and you think, is that really the best? Well, you know, it is if you don't have a financial education. But when you look at the sophisticated people, the uber wealthy people, the big corporations that have large amounts of money, and I think we all hope to be that, you know, lots of money. They have to really think about how to be a steward of all that money and be strategic with it. And this product is so amazing. And, and that last part of it, the whole asset protect, the privacy thing, I mean, that was just, that's amazing. And I'm really excited because we've got Jeffrey Verdon, who is a, a high level estate planning attorney who specializes in these asset protection structures, even with an international component. And so you accumulate all this wealth and you have to pass it. Insurance has always been a big part of that. And I've never really thought of insurance as being something, a tool for the here and now. I've always thought about it, something you put in place uh, in conjunction with your estate. But it's the and asset. Yeah, so that's very cool. So now you, you, you're hearing, okay, I can start using this product today and I get all of these different benefits, which, you know, are a lot to try to cover. And then it turns around and has this big value. So Jeffrey and Patrick are both going to be on the summit together. And so it's a chance to sit down, you know, and I'm looking forward to doing this, just sitting down with them and talking to them about how to put all the pieces of the puzzle together, you know, all at the same time. And, and I know that there's several summiteers who have actually used this product. And uh, th that's just real life case studies, understanding exactly how you're using it strategically. So if you listen to our show for any length of time, you've heard us shamelessly self-promote the Investor Summit at Sea because it's just the greatest thing ever. And no matter how great we tell you it is, it is going to be better than that. And this year is going to be extraordinary. Now, we're not yet publicly open to take registrations, but don't let that stop you. Go to our website at realestateguysradio.com, click on the button that says Summit, and you can register your interest. You'll be the first folks to hear when the window opens after the alumni who have signed up. And so we have a nice full group already, but there is room. It'll sell out quickly this year. The faculty has just been finalized. We're super excited about a lot of the folks that are coming. Get on the advanced registration list by going to realestateguysradio.com and clicking on Summit. It's going to be fabulous. So coming back to this whole topic of private banking and the idea of learning how to be a strategic, sophisticated real estate investor and using all the tools in your toolbox to create asset protection, liquidity. You know, when we had a chance to interview Donald Trump, one of the questions we asked him is, you know, when what did you learn in the good times and what did you learn in the bad times? The answer was nothing, didn't really learn much in the good times. In the bad times, I learned always have some liquidity. Yep. And now you look at the guy running for president and everybody is into his everything. I mean, there's no privacy whatsoever, but it just makes me wonder if a guy like that with all his net worth, maybe somewhere he's got some private wealth too. He could be a whole lot richer even than he's disclosed. Who knows? Well, next time you have a chance to ask him a question and that's been twice this year so far, maybe you can ask that. But the point is, if you have any kind of liquidity where do you put it 
Well, at least invest the time to watch the webinar and see if this is a product that's right for you. Uh, obviously, we have a lot of real estate investors we know that are, are using it and excited about it. And it's not for everybody, right? If, if you don't have substantial assets, if you're not running a lot of cash through your fingers, it's maybe not time for it. But if you are, definitely send that email to privatebanking at realestateguysradio.com and uh, check out the webinar with Patrick. Hey, big thanks to Patrick for his uh, time and uh, his great diligence and learning this information and being able to communicate and educate it. They have a wealth of education available. So not only can you learn, is the product right for you, but then once you have it, how do I use it to the best advantage? Uh, we'd love to have you come out to the summit and hang out with uh, Patrick and uh, Jeffrey as well. So good stuff. Hey, next week we start a really interesting series on the real estate guys. Today it is harder than ever in this market right now to find a great deal on a single family house. A lot of our providers in different cities and states are really squeezed for inventory and in multifamily. Right? Just at the last syndication event, Ken's talking about how squeezed multifamily is. Cap rates are down. So starting next week, we're going to talk about a multitude of different real estate investments that are not residential. Looking forward to that. Until then, go out and make some equity happen. This episode of the Real Estate Guys Radio Show is brought to you by Paradigm Life. Powerful cash management strategies using life insurance. Learn more at BeYourBank.com. Mid-South Home Buyers. Low-cost, turnkey cash flow properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Corporate Direct. Asset protection strategies for real estate investors from attorney and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton. Find these and other great companies under the resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. To learn how you can expose your product or service to the Real Estate Guys audience, call 888-489-7723, extension 4. That's 888-489-7723, extension 4. Or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys Radio Show. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast this week. Uh, it was such a good interview. Those guys are incredible. They've been such a help to uh, to me and the mission that we're on. Uh, I've gone on their uh, Summit at Sea. Uh, this will be my sixth year, uh, which is an incredible experience. It's basically a, a week-long excursion with investors and entrepreneurs and business owners, uh, and they put on quite quite a show. So if you're interested in their podcast, uh, go ahead and visit them at therealestateguysradio.com. See you next week. Thanks for joining us on the Wealth Standard Radio, your gold standard in everything financial. 